That's our TSN Hockey Insider. That would be Dave Poulin, as always, presentation of the Myers Automotive Group. How are you doing this morning, Dave? Doing excellent this morning, gentlemen. And part of meaningful hockey is having to watch the scoreboard in early March and, and caring what happens. <laughs> and that's all part of the process, guys. Yeah. It is. And, you know, the emotional swings that we talk about. And I was in Chicago on Monday night, as you know, and I saw the emotional swings firsthand in that game. And I, I would attribute that loss to emotional more than physical. The emotional led to the physical, but I think it was a mentally drained team. And I think about the leader in particular and what he wears on his sleeve and what it takes mentally to lead a hockey team. And, you know, and I've been in the position and it's, it's really draining and it gets to a point where you have to catch your breath. And I really think that they got caught by a team that you, you respect everybody, but by a team that, you know, everyone expected them to beat and they just caught the breath and through the game, you know, in the first period, they were fine. And the late goal really drained things and really changed things around. I think if that goal happens earlier in the first period, then they're fine. But the late goal after dominating the first period, like Chicago wasn't even there in the first period. And then it got sloppy and then it got out of hand. But I think that was, you know, and it was interesting because partway through the third period in my ear, the producer said, do you think Ottawa will still get a day off tomorrow in Seattle? And I said, even more so than I did before the game, they need a day off and they need to get away from the rink. And so I would expect them to come back fully charged to skate today in Seattle and they'll be ready to go. And to that Pooley, it was such an emotional week and Thursday was unbelievable in Madison square garden. You made the chicken trade and it really turned Saturday's atmosphere into almost a playoff game. So could you totally understand, as someone that played a long time, that just totally set up for a Monday against Chicago to just be a major letdown? It did, and we don't, we didn't come up with the term trap game in the trap game, and I don't even think it was a trap game. I think it was the emotional letdown. And you think about the emotions of, of that Detroit, you know, back and forth in those two games, but even starting off the week, it was how are these five games going to shape up? And it was almost a playoff-like atmosphere in the week, and then peaked by Saturday night with the chance in the crowd and the, you know, the inclusion of Jacob Chikrin, who I had a chance to chat with on Monday morning in the locker room in Chicago. And, you know, who just, it just is draining and it's draining for a young team and part of a young team. And this is something that you can talk about, but you have to experience. So, you know, Claude Drew, I'm sure would think about it and say something, but that wouldn't matter. You, you can't, explain to a young player what's going to happen it has to you have to go through it and you have to feel it and the the mental side of it lets the physical part be tired and as that game went on it just got sloppy and tired and you know we had focused right up close on dj during it wasn't a timeout it was he knew it uh when it went to three nothing i said right away to gordon miller or he said to me first before i even got a chance he motioned timeout and that didn't happen, but DJ knew that a TV timeout was coming. A TV timeout was within, you know, 30 seconds and a whistle. So he waited, but we stayed on close-up of him. And the last words out of his mouth were, no more turnovers. Like, really exaggerated. And there were three within the next 30 seconds yeah. after the puck dropped. I mean, and it was like, it was like, okay, did you say more turnovers or no more turnovers? <laughs> and it was like a parent telling a kid, don't do that, don't do that, don't do that. Can you hear me say don't do that? And that's what happened. You coached uh, 10 years of college hockey at, at Notre Dame, so uh, you know dealt with a lot of young players. As, as you said, Claude Giroux can say stuff, but until you go through it, you don't know. I'm, I'm interested in your thoughts on, 
And listen, the entire team had a, had a letdown, but Mad Solgard found out at some point on Monday that he was actually going to play because I think uh, when Count, Cam Talbot tweaked something uh, at the game day skate, um, would that be something as well for Mad Solgard where, you know, how to, how to focus yourself in a, in a shorter amount of time when you learn you're going to have to play relatively uh, late in the day as opposed to, nope. you know, the typical, um, you know, the, the typical routine? No question. And goaltenders, and you're sitting beside one or on air with one, you know well they all have their individual routines. But, you know, we watched the morning skate, and Talbot took the starters in. So even before the morning skate starts, you know, Cam Talbot's starting, and then leaves the ice, and Sogard takes extra shots. And this is something that I've always thought about, Simmer, philosophically, and talk to the goalie coaches about, I don't want my backup goalie having a big work day on a game day. And because practices are so rare now, very often they use the game day skate post the regular, you know, 20 minute zip around as a work day for the backup goaltender. But my fear is what if he has to go in the game and particularly a young guy physically and mentally. And that's exactly what happened on Monday with an off day coming looming on Tuesday they would use that day as a work day for Matt Sogard. And mentally, you know, forget the men- the physical part of doing it. Mentally, he'd had his work done for the day. And then at some point during the day, we found out when we got to the rink that Kevin Mandelazzi was on his way up. And in fact, guys, I ran into Scott Foster, the legendary <laughs> e-bug, down below. And Scott Foster had, had a sort of a brief college career at Western Michigan University when I was coaching at Notre Dame. So I grabbed him. I saw him and, and grabbed him and said hi to him. And it was funny because he had his Western Michigan bag over his shoulder and the Scott Foster tags on his bag. And I, and I introduced myself and he was laughing. He goes, oh, I know who you are. And I said, are you reliving something right now? And he goes, that was five years ago. And his eyes were big. And he's like, what's going to happen tonight? And, of course, he was just there for precautionary reasons. But it was five years ago that he played that game, guys. 2018, in March of 2018, when he went in and made seven or eight saves in that famous e-bug game in Chicago. i got to say as well, Pooley, if I was backing up, I would have been throwing down deep dish pizza all afternoon. <laughs> They'd get word well, I was playing. you've got no choice. Well, yeah, maybe even, even no a, as a good Danish guy at Carlsberg. Now to Sogard, though. Uh, when they did come up, it was a season saver, and it was almost like the Hamburglar where the games were fun. There was no pressure. What is the different element that the young goaltender, if he's playing the rest of this trip, going to face on this four-game road trip where there are expectations now? Well, first off, I don't think Cam Talbot is significant. I think I think Talbot will play on this trip. That was just my gut feeling um, in talking to the guys. And, you know, it was really precautionary knowing the stretch of games coming up. And it wasn't something he did in the morning skate because, as I said, he left the ice early. He was playing. It was just something that through the course, at some point through the course of the day, might have been nagging a little bit. He just said, you know what, I just think I need a few more days, and they would have till Thursday if he didn't play. So I think that Cam Talbot is going to be fine in playing. But to Matt Sogard, that's part of it too. There is more pressure now. And even in that first period, Simmer, it was a lousy first period to go into because he didn't see anything. Yeah. And the only thing he saw he made the big was, save think, on the one break on the first breakaway. Well, yeah. Exactly. But that's all he saw, right? Yeah. All he saw was a breakaway and then a partial breakaway. And then the third shot went off his glove and in the net from Kurashev late in the period. And that was the deflator. And he did make some saves through the game. But as I said, it got away from him. And in terms of odd man rushes that he faced, 
And the Chicago group, interestingly enough, guys, and, and we made a comment about it in the morning, and I had a really good chance in the morning. I chatted with Luke, and I chatted with their staff, and I worked with Derek King, so I know Kinger well, and, and I know Kim Dean a little bit as well. So I actually you know, sat in their office and had a nice chat with them. And we were surprised at the energy and the volume of press at the morning skate. And because Luke was speaking and there were I don't know, six or eight cameras around him and a number of reporters. And it was like, this doesn't feel like, you know, a 32nd place team morning skate in March. And I have been, I had lived in Chicago previous to, to moving back up to Toronto to take the leaf job. And so I had been in that building a lot in 2007, 2008 pre Kane and tapes. Mm-hmm. And it was totally different this time guys. And even at the game, I mean, the building wasn't full in the capacity of 23,000 like it fits, but it was a good crowd and energized and the crowd at the morning skate. And, you know, Luke Richardson, to no surprise, has those guys playing hard, although you have to check the roster to see who he has playing hard. <laughs> but he has the guys playing hard and they're competing every night. And that's the conversation I have with the coaches. And they're quite, it felt like a team, like I've been around, you know, Ottawa, particularly early this year, the energy was was good, even in trying times because the direction was there and you knew the quality of the good young players, but being around Montreal, they feel like teams with a plan and that's different from being around teams without a plan. But I feel like there is a plan in Chicago right now. Uh, we used uh, Alex to return to Chicago, which may have also uh, been part of the reason that uh, there was uh, some extra media around uh, on Monday uh, as a jumping off point on a discussion on Alex to and his future and, this season is going to play itself out, and then the big decision is going to have to be made this summer by both he as to what he wants to do, but by the Sens as well. And uh, at this point, you, I mean, you do a lot of Ottawa games, you talk to a lot of people, um, and a lot of it will be dependent on what he wants to do. He has a, has a huge say in all of this, but do you think that the Ottawa Senators, they've made the big trade now for a defenseman, should make that long-term big-money commitment to Alex Dabrinkat? Um, I, I would one word jumped out at me in that is the big part of the money. And it would be, you know, on Ottawa's terms to yep. do with their internal cap. And it wouldn't have to do with the qualifying offer of $9 million. The qualifying offer was his last contract and his last team that he negotiated with and something his agent did to propel him into his next contract. So the reason he would have signed the bridge back then, you know, and he had 41 goal season was that it would be, the accelerant to go into the next contract. And I'm removing that from the equation. I'm saying, okay, this is my team. This is my salary cap. This is where I think that Alex Dabrinkit fits into my team. And the beauty is um, you've got Brady and Stutzla as your, as your A and your, your A and A alphas. And so where does Dabrinkit fit in to your top six? And what is the price? on your terms and yes i'm highly interested in having him a part of the group and you're hoping that he has seen something that says okay you know forget about the nine million dollar qualifying offer and because i'm i want to sign a long-term deal i want to be part of this i think it's something special and and you know i'm going to negotiate a contract that works for me obviously and understands what I've done in the National Hockey League, but also also understands where my spot is in the Ottawa Senators. So I'm highly interested mm-hmm. in that negotiation. It doesn't feel like Pooley for many reasons, and also knowing Jeff Jackson, excellent agent, it'll be any less than eight times eight. Would you do that? Um, I don't think 
that, well, you know, he, he's, he'd be right around there, but maybe a little bit under there. He's got the weight of the 241 goal seasons, but does that fit into your structure? And it may depend on where the cap's going and what that projection is similar, but it, it, it's arguably going to be, it's going to be a little bit less than Stusla and, and, and Brady make. It just is. And for me, and that's what fits. And so if the number hits, I'd like the number to start with a seven. That may be unrealistic on my part, but you know, he fits right into that grouping on what he brings to the team. And you're, you're also, you know, you project out and you say, okay, well, Drew's got two more years left at 6.5 after this. So that's part of, Harder to bring gets longer term money is the Giroux money. You know, that's those are the machinations of, of what goes into this. Um I'm 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 having the conversation for sure. I want him to be yeah. a part of this team, but it's got to be a little bit more on my terms, maybe than eight, but right around there. Yeah. yeah. But but him going into the final year of his contract, I mean, ultimately, if if he decides that he wants to it, it starts with an eight or an eight point five or whatever, I mean, he has a, a ton of he has a lot of leverage. I mean, he can just play out next year. At $9 million, uh, you know, uh, and, and really force the hand of the Sens if he wants to do it that way as well, which makes it a bit of a different negotiation, right? It's not all going to be on the Sens' terms. No, it's not all going to be on the Sens' terms, but it has to be on the Sens' terms for what they want to do with this group. And, and you know, and we, we've spoken about this. You know, you say, well, the Sens' pipeline isn't very good. Well, the Sens' pipeline isn't very good because all the good guys are already here. <laughs> you know, I'd rather have the good guys that I know that can play in the NHL as part of my pipeline than, well, I've got a great pipeline coming. Um, you know, if you're going to say a 21-year-old in, in Timmy Stutzel is part of the pipeline, well, that's more than a pipeline. That's a pipeline full of full of good product. And But Dabrinkit, I think, can be a big part of this team. But does he want to, Simmer? Does he want to be a part of this? Does he want to be a part of something special? And we get into the old, you know, you've heard me say this many times, the sneaker and jeans philosophy. He's made some money. He's a young guy. He has a pair of sneakers. He has a nice pair of jeans. You can only wear one of each at a time. Mm-hmm. And does he want to be a part of something special? And I think he has the opportunity to do that in Ottawa. And, you know, the excitement of the team sale um, could factor into something like this. And the excitement of a potential building that he could be a part of, all those things could come into play. And because he's played the National Hockey League, and he's also seen what it's like to play for a team that's not very good, Simmer, and make a lot of money. And, you know, because he's, I mean, he's been at, you know, making a lot of money on a relative basis for a young guy. He's driven to the rink knowing that he plays for a team that's not very good. And, and that's not, that's not fun. It's just not. And he's also driven to the rink this week and said, holy smokes, like this is fun. And this is just the start of it. Yeah. And also, hey, factors, he's got a young family, so it's different than a single guy, but we don't know any of that. Also, I think Ottawa's put them in a great spot. And at the same time, I like to use that term, he's part of the solution, which even more so, Pooley, after you've made the Chikrin trade, you're you're in win-now mode. Not talking about winning a cup, but you remove a Dabrinkit from there and you start to look at it, hey, that is part of the solution going forward. Yes, and you know your young family part is not taken lightly by these guys at all. They know that Ottawa's a great city. Um, they do. They know it's a great city for a young family. They understand that. And they, you know, and Alex Dabrinkit, the way he plays, Guys, he knows he needs other players to be successful at what he does. He's not a standalone. He's not. He needs complementary players, and he knows that he's got a better and a higher, a better quality and a higher number of complementary players in Ottawa right now in the top six than are in a lot of different situations. And the grass isn't always greener, and I think he would understand that. 
We uh, uh, talked about this earlier in the season. Unfortunately for Ottawa, in terms of its pipeline, its prospect pipeline, uh, there's some bad news on Tyler Boucher, who uh, hurt himself at the World Juniors um, and then re-aggravated the injury on Friday day playing for the 67s. And uh, the news from Dave Cameron, the coach, is that uh, you know, pending a, a final uh, sign-off from the Sens, uh, it, he's going to need shoulder surgery, it looks like, and be out three to four months and miss the rest of the season. And if you add uh, Boucher's now shoulder injury to what we've seen very recently with the Sens, from Colin White to Shane Pinto to Josh Norris, we add in Cole Caulfield just down the 417 in, in Montreal. Is this just coincidence um, that, you know, really good prospects all coming out of the States – uh, are all suffering the uh, Jack Hughes as well from New Jersey, all suffering significant shoulder. Just coincidence. This is all happening, or yeah, is there anything to read into it, or or or, or what? I think the coincidence part. Um, I don't think it's that they all come from the states, or they all come from the national development program, if that's what you mean, because they do. Um, I, I think it's that they're all really high level, high quality players that play against older, bigger, stronger, faster because they're the National Hockey League at 18, 19, and 20. And even coming in, um, they're playing a lot of hockey. They're playing competitive hockey. And I do think, guys, and I've talked to a couple of the trainers about the shoulder thing, and they're piecing all this information together now because of what we're talking about on the development of the shoulder and the focus of the development on the shoulder, you know, because these kids are training at an elite level, and, and they're – I think the body type is changing too coming into the national hockey league where they're slighter and they're, I don't want to say they're in better shape than we were simmer because they're in <laughs> different shape than we were. How's that for being polite? Oh no, no, they're um, better shape than me. Not you Pooley, but I, I'm maybe, not going to put me on that list. <laughs> maybe not as blocky as we were. <laughs> oh, they're, they're upper body. They're up and RNH is another guy Their Their upper bodies are shocking. Pooley. I guess all I was asking is, is the intensity of the U S development program, something to point to or is that just like and it's no okay it's not it's not the elite level training is done off the ice there as well and you know from medical training standpoint i think it is coincidence it's unfortunate but i think it's the level the number of games they play um all of those things factor in but you know you get a a jack hughes you know i I look at some of the some of these guys off the ice they're just not very big i was i was looking at uh the Reichel kid in Chicago walking by me the other day, and he looks like he's 12 years old. And, you know, he just does. I'm like, is that one of the players? And <laughs> That's part of getting old, though, too, Dave. <laughs> I know. The, the, I the, dra- the draft photos for me are always like, and maybe New Jersey does this because of lose old shirt and tie thing, but some of them you're like, that's got to be a prep school player, right? <laughs> I know. Well, the clip-on tie doesn't help either, Stimmer, but I'll tell you, you talk about getting old, Jr. I don't want to share with you that I did see Peter Gabriel. I've seen him a couple of times, but I saw Peter Gabriel with Genesis on Lamb Lies Down on Broadway. <laughs> wow. Yes, sir. Yeah. Spectacular. I saw him recently with, most recently, I guess would have been, I don't know, maybe five years ago when he played with Sting, but it was it was brilliant. So yeah. if you get a chance to go see him, go see him. Well, he, yeah, just announced his tour. He's coming to Ottawa in September, so the tickets yeah. just went on sale, interestingly enough. Okay, okay. so so from the, uh, just just again in talking to the trainers, just to finish up on the, on the shoulder th- uh, thing, uh, is one of the things they're studying, um, you know, how, how best to develop this, this new athlete kind of going forward in terms of just the off-ice training component to this. It is constant. It is so constant. I mean, you know, I, I, I know 
even at the college level, when they walk in, they put a monitor on that they're monitored their entire time they're in the building. They're everything about it, heart rate, calories, intake, everything in terms of body composition. So it's a constant study and, and they'll figure it out just like they figure other things out. But, you know, it does get prevalent at some points because you think, man, it seems like we're losing a lot of guys to shoulders in Ottawa in particular because they're high profile guys and they're really good players. All right. Good stuff. On that note, we'll uh, let it go. Appreciate the time uh, as always and look forward to chatting with you again on Friday. Have a great day, gentlemen.